BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, which is my newest book and The Inflammation Spectrum and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, and there's lots of free resources there for you as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L. C-O-L-E dot com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, I'm giving away free signed books. All you have to do is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. And no matter when you listen to this episode, every month, my team and I will be going through the Apple Podcast reviews and randomly picking winners every month. So you can do this two different ways. You can leave your Instagram handle in your Apple Podcast review and we'll reach out to you that way. Or you can message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole and screenshot your Apple podcast review if you want to do it that way. Either way, I'll be going through my messages on Instagram as well as on the Apple podcast reviews and randomly picking winners with my team. Let's get to today's guest. Her name is Dr. Casey Means. She is freaking brilliant. One of the smartest people that I know and a great friend. Casey Means, MD, is a physician chief medical officer and co-founder of metabolic health company Levels and associate editor of the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention. She is a lecturer in food design and health at Stanford University. Her mission is to maximize human potential and reverse the epidemic of preventable chronic disease by empowering individuals with tech-enabled tools that can inform smart, personalized, and sustainable dietary and lifestyle choices. Dr. Mean's perspective has been recently featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Men's Health, Forbes, Business Insider, TechCrunch, Entrepreneur Magazine, The Hill, Metabolism, Endocrine Today, and so much more. She has held past research positions at the NIH, Stanford School of Medicine, and NYU. Stay tuned through the entire conversation because at the end, I'll be answering another one of your burning health questions and then ask me anything. All right. This is Dr. Casey Means, Art of Being Well. Dr. Casey Means. What the heck? I can't believe this is finally officially happening on my podcast. Dr. Cole, I am so excited. This is a long time coming and I cannot wait to catch up about 
all things metabolic health. Yes, my goodness. And I have to say, I haven't told you this in person, but years ago we were on a panel, I think it was during the pandemic maybe, and you said something that really meant a lot to me and I never got a chance to thank you is you said Ketotarian was a resource to you personally. And it just made my, I, I'm such a fan of yours and have been for years to, to hear that something that I wrote was a resource for such a brilliant mind was, it made my year that I still remember every time I see your name. That means so much to me. And that was a really fun event. That was, I think, a panel we did with Dry Farm yeah. Wines yes. Yes. <laughs> right in the middle of the pandemic. So that was really special to get to connect with you in that very odd time when we were all kind of alone in our offices, not having a lot of human contact. So it was great. Yeah, it was very memorable. I have to say what this beautiful plant situation behind you, people that are not, they're hearing this on the podcast, they can't see this, but what is this? So I have a vertical indoor farming hydroponic system in my office. And so this is actually, it's by a company called Let Us Grow. So L-E-T-U-C-E, Let Us Grow. Love that, um, play on words. Yeah, and it's 30 different types of lettuces and herbs. And let's see, what else? Yeah, it's mostly lettuce and herbs, some kale, mint, cilantro. And you just put these little pods in it and it recycles water in there and it grows probably twice as fast as plants outdoors. And so I'm just every day for lunch and dinner, I get, I harvest my lettuce from this thing. So I call it my office salads. Yeah. And it just, it brings (laughs) me this, like, I think about like Mary Kondo, like sparking joy. And I I can't think of anything else in my house that sparks joy like this, because it helps me see, you know, the life cycle of the plant, which connects me to the earth and to really understanding these natural processes. It's also more delicious than what I can get at the store. And I kind of feel like I'm saving money by harvesting lettuce out of my office, which is a total fallacy of course, because the thing is not free, but it just brings me so much joy. So love it. And definitely a spark joy item in my house. I love it. Sparks joy, growing your own food, connected to the earth. It sounds good to me. I need to get myself one before I'm, when I'm consulting patients, have myself a lettuce wall. I mean, you need a little snack. You just reach yes. over and pop it in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Super convenient. All right. Let's jump right into it, my friend. You are such an expert in this space. I really want to set the stage for something that's very serious that not a lot of people know about. We're facing metabolic issues of massive proportions. And you mentioned it being the number one health crisis in our society. And the numbers speak for themselves. So what are the numbers? What are we facing? The numbers are so bad. So right now, the recent research suggests from, and this is actually from basically this month, research shows that 93% of American adults have metabolic dysfunction, which is funny because most people don't even know what metabolic dysfunction means. You know, it's not a term that we usually use in conventional medicine, but it's a word every single one of us needs to know. Metabolic dysfunction, metabolic health, metabolism. And the reason we have to understand this is because metabolic health, metabolism, this is talking about how our cells make energy so that they can function properly. It's all the processes that convert food to energy so our cells can run. And we have around 37 billion cells in our body and every single one needs energy to function properly. And right now, Those processes are totally under siege in our modern American Western way of living with all the industrialized, you know, influences that we're having on our food, on our, the chemicals we're exposed to, 
we're getting less sleep, we're moving less. All these aspects of modernity are actually feeding into totally breaking the systems that do the basic function of letting ourselves have energy. You know, there's there's no, if you have a car without gas, there's no paint job, there's no oil change, you know, there's no bumper sticker that's going to make that car run. And unfortunately, the way we're approaching metabolic dysfunction in this country is just like that. We're doing all this downstream stuff, adding all these bells and whistles under the guise of innovation that don't actually affect the root cause problem is just that our cells can't make basic energy to work. And so what this shows up as is so many different types of symptoms and diseases. And it's no surprise that nine of the 10 leading causes of death in the United States are fundamentally rooted in dysfunctional metabolism from, of course, type two diabetes, which is an overt issue in metabolism, right? Our bodies literally can't use glucose properly, but also things like cancer, which is driven by poor metabolic health and the high insulin levels that result from that and the high blood sugar levels. Alzheimer's dementia is being called type three diabetes now because it's so related to metabolism. So we really need to reframe the way we're thinking about healthcare and our healthcare crisis to really a metabolic issue. And if we're going to dig ourselves out of this huge hole, which is costing our country $4 trillion per year, we need to really take a metabolic approach. But to get back to your question, so the numbers, so 93%, so this is actually a recent stat from July that showed that essentially they looked at several different biomarkers of metabolism, things like cholesterol, fasting, glucose level, amount of adiposity. So visceral fat in the body, waist circumference, blood pressure, things like this. And if someone met the optimal or actually not even optimal, the normal criteria for all of these biomarkers, not on medication, they were considered to be metabolically healthy. And that's now only 6.8% of our country which is just shocking. Okay. So 93.2% of American bodies are having some issue with how they make energy and that's showing up in this data. And that is up from about three years ago where there was this shocking news that only 12% of American adults are metabolically healthy. Now it's down to 6.8 because the pandemic, you know, did just absolutely threw us for a loop in terms of healthy behaviors and healthy eating. And I think that's contributed to why these numbers are worse. And the other stats that I think are really important to know that I think most people don't realize is that's just, that's general metabolic issues. So that's like baseline metabolic problems. But if you actually look at sort of diseases within that category, like type two diabetes, 50% of American adults now have prediabetes or a full-fledged type two diabetes. And of the people who have prediabetes, 90% of them don't know they have it. And there was a study actually a couple months ago that looked at 22,000 patients who are eligible for prediabetes uh, screening. And they looked at all these patients who are going to their primary care doctor. And of those that actually got appropriate screening and were diagnosed with prediabetes, zero out of 22,000 patients in that study got appropriate prediabetes treatment. So we are abjectly failing. Like literally there's just, there's no two ways around it. It's abject failure of a system of managing early metabolic issues. And I wouldn't even call prediabetes an early metabolic issue. I mean, that's full-fledged metabolic dysfunction, even though we have this strange name pre, which implies that it's somehow not a problem yet. It absolutely is. So those are a few of the stats, but, but we've really got to wake up to this as individuals to understand it and 
learn about how to improve our metabolic health because the healthcare mm-hmm. system right now, unfortunately, is not taking lead and ownership in promoting foundational metabolic health and restoring metabolic function to human bodies. Cause you can't do that through medication and surgeries. You have to do it through food and lifestyle. So that's lifestyle un- changes. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, the staggering statistics you just threw out, people should go back and repeat that bit and write it down because it is insane what we're seeing. And it's hemorrhaging our country, not just on an economic side, but it's impacting people's lives. It's shut. It's cutting our lifespan and our health span quite dramatically. Do you want to hear something truly alarming? Since 2020, two out of three people report feeling extreme stress and it's affecting their sleep and affecting their overall health. Sad, but true. Ever feel tightness in your stomach sitting in rush hour traffic or get sick to your stomach before a big presentation? That's because your gut, not your brain, is responsible for your stress response. So to manage stress and feel calm and in control, you have to give your gut what it needs to truly thrive. Personally, I have loved for years and trust Just Thrive Probiotic because it's recommended by some of the biggest names in the health industry, including me. Just Thrive does more human clinical trials and research than any other supplement company on the market. It's a game changer for helping you sidestep gas, bloating, and constipation, and it's been shown to help flip the switch on stress so you can feel confident and in control. And for next level stress management, I love pairing the probiotic with Just Thrive's breakthrough new formula, Just Calm. Just Calm's proprietary ingredients have been clinically proven to do the almost unimaginable, reduce perceived stress, improve sleep quality and energy, and even encourage better focus and flow. Just Thrive Probiotic and Just Calm make the perfect one-two punch to beat stress before it beats you. You can learn more about the groundbreaking company at justthrivehealth.com. And don't miss the episodes that I've had the founders and microbiologists at Just Thrive on. Both both episodes are amazing. Go back and listen to my episode with Tina. And Tina was on both episodes. And Karan Krishan, the microbiologist at Just Thrive, was on there as well. Brilliant people. We talk about all of the science in depth. They have no fake marketing, no claims, just real scientifically proven results. That's Just Thrive. And right now you can get 15% off this dynamic duo when you go to justthrivehealth.com. Use code WillCole at checkout to get that 15% off. Again, that's justthrivehealth.com. Use code WillCole at checkout for 15% off. People age at different speeds and the date on your license may not represent your inner biological age at all. If you're looking for ways to extend your health span, longevity, and slow down the accelerated aging process, the keys to health and longevity run in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to improve your metabolism, reduce your stress, improve your sleep, and optimize your health for the long haul. It was created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you are not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise for your body, right nutrition and foods to focus on for your body, and right supplementation for your body. It's bio-individuality at its best. I love it. It's what I stand for in functional medicine. 
It's let's find out what are the tools that are the most effective for you. And Inside Tracker provides you with all this amazing data for your body. And you have to add what they call Inner Age 2.0. I love this. Add Inner Age 2.0 to any of the plans at Inside Tracker for a definitive calculation of your true biological age. You can see how you're aging from the inside out. I think you're going to be shocked by the results. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well. That's insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well. Or you can use code Will Cole at checkout to get the 20% off. Again, that's insidetracker.com slash art of being well. Hey guys, I'm Kinsey from the I Love You So Much podcast. On my show, we talk about everything, lifestyle, business, finance, beauty, you name it. My favorite part about the show is the amazing guests that we bring on. We have everyone ranging from like business experts to influencers, CEOs, creative masterminds. It's so much fun. If you guys want to find me on Instagram and it's just at Kinsey Elizabeth, I release new episodes every Thursday. So hope to see you there. So for people that are, you mentioned on the one end of that insulin resistance spectrum, the people that are diagnosable issues, and then you mentioned the majority of people that are somewhere on that insulin resistance spectrum, most of them don't even know it. So what are some of the signs that people could maybe normalize in their life? Because they can go to work, they can function, but it could be a sign that they're somewhere on that insulin resistance spectrum. Well, the reality is that the majority of us are on that spectrum. I mean, pretty much most of us. And so the, one of the issues is that it's really hard to know through the lab tests that our doctors are ordering us. And the reason for that has to do with this insulin resistance that you're talking about. And so I'll just mention very briefly kind of why we have some issues with how we're gaining awareness of this based on standard labs that physicians are ordering or medical practitioners. And so Essentially, when the body becomes metabolically dysfunctional, which can happen from lots of different things that we can certainly dig into more, basically anything in our diet and lifestyle that's hurting our ability of our mitochondria, the energy factories in the cells to do work, as those kind of start breaking and our cellular processes of converting food to energy start breaking, the body actually has to produce more of this hormone insulin to overcompensate for this dysfunction. So insulin is the hormone in the body released by the pancreas that helps you take blood sugar, one of the substrates to form energy into the cells. And as the cell becomes essentially dysfunctional and problematic to how it's converting glucose to energy, the cell says things aren't working. Stop forcing this glucose into the cell, we, we can't do much with it because we're having dysfunction. And so the body's response to that is to become insulin resistant, meaning that hormone is no longer going to be as effective at pushing the glucose into the cell. So of course, then you're going to start to see, you know, theoretically, then you'd see glucose levels in the bloodstream rise, but the body's super smart as it becomes insulin resistant the body actually just starts pumping out way more insulin to overcome that insulin resistance to try and force that glucose into the cell. So there's like a 10 to maybe 15 year period when your body's overcompensating hormonally with insulin to this early insulin resistance to basically compensate for this growing dysfunction. 
And during that window, there's no real lab test that we order in conventional medicine that allows you to see that you're on that spectrum, even though severe cellular dysfunction is starting and growing, but the body's smart and it's overcompensating. And during that period, your blood sugar may look normal because the body's compensating, but your insulin Mm. levels are probably going up and up and up and up. And of course, we don't check insulin levels in standard conventional practice. It's part of no guidelines. The American Diabetes Association, the Endocrine Society, both do not recommend it as a screening test. And of course, as you know, a lot of functional medicine doctors, precision medicine doctors are now ordering this because you can see a lot earlier if things are starting to go off the rails, if the body is starting to overcompensate for dysfunction. So insulin resistance is really the name of the game. And everyone should ask their doctor for a fasting insulin check. And generally I recommend that this is somewhere between two and six to really show that your body's not having to produce that much to keep your blood sugar at whatever level it's at. So that's the biomarker side of things, but for more of like a symptom side of things, Mm -hmm. there's a number of things that might show up. If you may be having some of this early insulin resistance, one is really difficulty or inability to lose weight. If you've been really struggling with some, especially belly fat, it may be a sign that there is insulin resistance growing. And the reason for that is because insulin is a fasting hormone. Not only does it have the job of taking glucose out of the bloodstream into the cells, but it has a second function of blocking fat burning. Because of course, if your body is, their body's looking for ways to make energy and it's like, oh, I've got glucose as a substrate. I've got fat as a substrate, but if there's tons of glucose around, the body's not going to tap into your fat stores for energy. So insulin has this dual purpose of saying, okay, there's lots of glucose around. Let's take it up into the cell, but we don't need that fat now because we've got all this glucose. So if your insulin is high, it's going to be much harder to burn that fat. So that's one key thing. And of course, 74% of American adults right now are overweight or obese and 50% of Americans go on a diet every year to lose weight. And of course we know that by and large people, I mean, individuals have success, but on a population level, we're not seeing a decrease in our obesity or overweight rates. And so I think a big root cause of this is that there's so much insulin resistance happening that the body's just really struggling Mm -hmm. to, to actually burn that fat. So that's one. Mm -hmm. The second Mm -hmm. subjective thing that I think people can kind of zero in on is, are they feeling essentially hangry before their meals? So if you are going like three hours and you feel like you need to eat something, you have to have lunch, you're really craving carbs and sugar, and you can't really go long periods of time without eating, without having some negative subjective symptoms, that could be a sign of insulin resistance. And the reason for that is because If insulin is high, again, you can't burn fat as efficiently. And so your body's essentially dependent on glucose hits to keep your, you know, feeling of energy up and the body almost panics if it doesn't have it readily accessible. So cravings and feeling a little bit uncomfortable in between meals, theoretically, we should be able to go a day or two days without eating and kind of feel fine. Cause our body, when the glucose goes low, immediately switches into fat burning. And you use that incredible substrate of which even a lean person has lots of fat to right. use for energy. And you've talked about this so much, so I won't belabor it, but like being able to essentially not eat or fast and be fine is a characteristic we should all strive for. Cause that implies that we are metabolically flexible enough to bounce between using sugar when we have it and using fat when we don't have it. So hanger, mood lability between meals. Those are factors that I zero in on. The third thing I might look at 
is actually like how you feel after a meal. So if you are eating and you're kind of one of those people who like always feels lethargic and like you're kind of crashing after a meal and you kind of need a nap or more coffee or something like that, that could be a sign that you're you're just like loading up glucose with your meals and then you're crashing your glucose afterwards. So if you have some of that like post-meal crash sensation, it could be a sign that there's some underlying metabolic stuff happening and you may need to tweak your diet a bit to kind of keep things more stable. So if energy is dipping throughout the day, especially after meals, really should be probably zeroing in on metabolic stuff. So those are three things to think about. And then more broadly, I think what's worth noting is that so many of the really prevalent and almost what are considered normalized symptoms in young Americans, Mm -hmm. we know are deeply tied to early metabolic dysfunction. And so if you've got some symptoms, which I'll list, you should probably be thinking like, could there be a metabolic underpinning to this? Because your doctor's probably not mentioning it to you. And so some of the things that we know are tied to metabolism that are affecting lots of young Americans is infertility. So polycystic ovarian syndrome, the leading cause of female infertility in this country is fundamentally a metabolic issue. Those high insulin levels drive the ovary to make more testosterone, which creates irregular menstrual cycles and many of the other symptoms that are associated with PCOS. So if we can get insulin down and the research shows this very clearly, if we can get insulin down through diet and lifestyle, PCOS symptoms improve, but men are not excluded from this erectile dysfunction, which is now affecting Mm -hmm. over a quarter of men under 40 is fundamentally a metabolic issue because how does the penis get erect? You need blood flow to fill the penis and, you know, cause the engorgement and erection. Well, insulin and metabolic health and blood sugar are some of the key determinants in our blood vessels ability to dilate. Exactly. So if you have erectile dysfunction, if you're dealing with low libido or issues with that, which is a lot of Americans, you should be focusing on metabolic health. Other things, depression, anxiety, chronic pain, gout, just so many sort of like pain points that we deal with, we know Mm -hmm. can be related to metabolism people with blood sugar issues have twice the rate of depression and anxiety. And so these are, these are not insignificant. And I think it's very empowering to know this because it's something you can do something about. It's something that, you know, maybe medication is, maybe you need medication. Maybe you need sort of more conventional approach, but how wonderful is it that if we can understand the metabolic underpinnings of a symptom or a disease, a symptom or, or a disease, we can actually do something ourselves to intervene on that aspect of it if there is a metabolic underpinning to the symptom. So those are some of the pain points that I think even young people on the metabolic yeah. spectrum might be dealing with. And then for older folks and as we get as we as these problems progress, we realize like I said earlier that basically 9 of the 10 leading causes of actual death mm-hmm. in the country are rooted in metabolism. So this is like diabetes, Alzheimer's, cancer, chronic liver disease, chronic kidney disease, stroke, heart disease the top killers we all know are either directly caused by or accelerated by issues with blood sugar, high insulin and metabolism. So it's pretty much relevant to everyone. And if you have essentially any of those diagnoses that we kind of just went through, I personally would start Googling, start reading, start learning about how blood sugar contributes and then figure out how to improve metabolic health, which of course we'll talk about more today. Yeah, I love it. So, I mean, you definitely 
now people can see why it is the number one health crisis we're facing as a world today on so many levels. And from an objective data standpoint, that's definitely where you recommended serum fasting insulin. That's exactly where I want it for patients for those bigger snapshots in time. But like you said, those are just snapshots. And a lot of things can be missed with just randomly testing this every few months or people are not even, they're getting tested that even less than every few months, maybe once a year, if that, if they're asking for these labs many of the times. So my patients that are listening to this podcast right now, many of them will know, okay, you have an amazing data set through levels that you have the largest data set in the world of glycemic responses of non-diabetics, millions of people that you know the data. So the continuous glucose monitor and using levels data for your own, to learn about yourself, to empower yourself, to find out your bioindividuality. Let's talk about Let's talk about that first and why people can see their own end of one experiment in real time versus these larger labs. Like what, why is that important? Mm. What I believe first and foremost is that people should really be able to understand how food and lifestyle choices are affecting their health in granular detail. Like we, we basically make all these choices every day thousands of micro decisions every day. And we really don't have a sense of what they're doing to us. You know, Mm -hmm. we eat like three pounds of food per day. It's like, you don't really know if that's working for you. You might have subjective symptoms or subjective feelings, but really it's like six months later, a year later, you're going to get a cholesterol test. How do you tie that back or a fasting glucose test? How do you tie that back to what you ate and whether it was the right thing for you or not? And so this is why I'm really excited about these N of one experiments and some of this continuous biomonitor technology and essentially direct to consumer health testing that is becoming more accessible because we can start to actually take ownership over looking at different variables in our lives and deciding, mm-hmm. is this a good choice for my unique physiology? And that's really empowering because you're not just yes. waiting for a crumb of information from your primary care doctor to tell you whether you're yeah. okay or not. You can decide and understand whether you're okay or not and what you need to do in your life to become more healthy and restore as much health as possible. Typical children's vitamins are basically, let's be honest, candy in disguise. They're filled with teaspoons and teaspoons of sugar unhealthy chemicals sometimes and other gummy junk that honestly growing kids or anybody, they shouldn't be eating it. That's why Haya was created. The pediatrician approved superpowered chewable vitamin. While most children's vitamins are filled with all the sugar and can contribute to a variety of health issues, Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes great and is perfect for picky eaters. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, B12, vitamin C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support your kid's immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. I have a picky son. My son, I love him. And he knows it too. This is not shaming him on a podcast. <laughs> He's picky and he loves Haya. He has it every day. I don't even have to ask him. He just goes, opens a bag up and takes his Haya. I've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash Will Cole. 
This deal is not available on their regular website. So you have to go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash Will Cole, HiaHealth.com slash Will Cole, and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. There is very little in the world that is better than comfy sheets. After a long day, you just want to get in your bed, snuggle up. At least I do. I know that I'm not alone, right? Where are the snugglers at? And my favorite sheets, without a doubt, are my sheets from Cozy Earth. They develop and craft high-quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth so you can get the restorative sleep you need to curate your sanctuary and recharge from the comfort of your home. Cozy Earth is softer than cotton. I can attest to that. It is. Like, I can't even explain it. It's otherworldly. It's extremely soft. It's made from soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics. Cozy Earth is temperature regulating. That's another thing that I love about it. I don't get hot. I don't feel like I'm suffocating in the sheets. It is temperature regulating, which means it will help you feel cool and comfortable all night long. Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorites list four years in a row. Oprah freaking loves Cozy Earth as well. The sheets are now available in five colors, white, light gray, driftwood, that's one that I have, charcoal, and oat. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for the Art of Being Well listeners today. 35% off site-wide when you use the code WILLCOLE. So all you have to do is head on over to CozyEarth.com. Use code Will Cole to get that 35% off. Again, that's code Will Cole for that 35% off at CozyEarth.com. So with glucose monitoring, which is of course what Levels is all about, this is a really cool area that's emerging because it's the first type of biosensor that gives a continuous readout of something going inside our body that we've ever had access to before. Traditionally, it's been like you get a blood test and you get a one-time snapshot of what's going on inside your body for a biomarker. But now we have a sensor that you can literally put on your body and it's doing a lab test 24 hours a day, seven days a week, giving you hundreds and thousands of data points. So you can really see a movie of what's going on with your health in response to different, different variables like food or exercise or more sleep, less sleep, et cetera. And so why that's important is because every single person is going to respond differently to different foods, different lifestyle choices in terms of how it affects their metabolic response. You and I could both eat a banana, for instance, and our blood sugar could rise completely different amounts. Mine might rise a hundred points to be a massive glucose response and yours might rise 10 points. And so that's mm -hmm. going to have a different physiologic downstream effect on each of us. For me, that might spike a lot of insulin response to soak up all that glucose out of the bloodstream. For you, mm -hmm. it might not have much insulin response at all. So the hormonal cascade of that choice is going to be different for each of us. Mm -hmm. And knowing that can help us make different decisions. Maybe I don't eat bananas. Then instead I eat another type of fruit that doesn't cause as much of a glucose response and therefore probably not as much of an insulin response. Maybe I pair the banana with almond butter and chia seeds and flax. So I get some protein, fat, and fiber, Whatever. which we know yeah. decreases the glucose response. So it's really bio-individuality is why we need to do a little bit more of these N of one experiments. And 
when we can keep our blood sugar more stable, more of the time, what that does for our body is it takes the gas off this constant overwhelm of this energetic substrate glucose that our body's essentially breaking under. We're eating like 10 to 50 times more sugar per year now than we did hundred, 200 years ago. And that huge overwhelm is literally breaking our cells. They can't handle all of this. It gums up the system essentially. And so by knowing that you're keeping your glucose a bit more stable by making choices in your food and other activities like exercise, post-meal walks, keeping your stress levels down, you essentially are taking the accelerator off some of this sort of damaging constant barrage that our bodies are getting by eating the standard American diet, which is just filled with ultra processed carbohydrates and sugars. And then I think the second piece, aside from sort of no understanding the biochemical individuality of our choices and being able to see that we're, you know, how to modulate our choices to keep our glucose more stable is that it can really have a big impact on our subjective experience of our day. So like we were talking about with the spikes and crashes, if I can keep my glucose a bit more stable, I can start to pair subjective feelings with those choices. Like, oh, if I eat Mm. oatmeal in the morning with bananas and I spike a hundred points, well, maybe I feel really crappy an hour afterwards. And I really Mm -hmm. feel like anxious and brain fog. And like, I want more coffee. And maybe I realize that if I swap that out for an avocado, a scrambled egg, a little chia pudding, maybe some smoked salmon for breakfast, and my glucose is completely flat, that I actually feel way more stable energy and I feel way better. So that's then building your muscle of body awareness, of understanding what choices lead to better subjective outcomes during our day. And I think you can definitely build body awareness without a biosensor, but I actually think it's a lot easier to do it with it because you can really zero in on what am I doing with my choices? How is it leading to a change in objective data? And how is that changing my day? And then just kind of complete that circle and reiterate over and over again until you're feeling really great. My goodness, you are speaking my love language here. This this is the context in which I always am empowering patients with. Like this is feedback. It's what I call food peace. Like when you know with confidence, okay, this makes food makes me feel this way, but you're not guessing. You could see the data that's validating why you feel the way that you do and to really curate your own tools within your toolbox as far as food and other lifestyle choices. And something else that you said, like as somebody myself that looks at data all day long with the bigger snapshots with labs, but also levels data that I'm tracking with patients, I get to see that bio-individuality play out on so many people's lives. You're absolutely right. Is this the same fruit or starch or carb or whatever that works great for one person can spike somebody else up. So this enables you to really get granular and to find out what your body loves. So what are some, because of bio-individuality, everybody's going to have to experiment with themselves, but what are some of the surprising health foods, quote unquote, health foods that may work great for many people, but really are surprising for you, as far as the data is concerned, that spike a lot of people's blood sugar and they don't even know it. So many different things that we've learned from our data set. One of the things that's been pretty surprising to me is that if you look at like protein bars and health bars, you see such a massive spectrum of how those are affecting glucose response. And I think it's challenging because you go to Whole Foods or Air One or whatever, and you walk in and there's like, 
in, you know, usually it's like an entire half of an aisle. That's just all those boxes of these bars. And it's like, where do you even start? They all are marketed mm-hmm. as healthy. Every single one is marketed in some way that it's got some health proning property. So you could feel really lost. And we see some bars on average have like a 10 milligram per deciliter glucose response. Others have like a 60 milligram per deciliter glucose response on average in our population. So if I were walking into that aisle, I would want to know that information so I could start directionally zeroing in on which ones are going to have less of a glycemic impact for me. Because that 60 milligram per deciliter glucose response, that's going to put me on that, that roller coaster of subjective feeling crappy, you know, and the 10 mm-hmm. is going to keep me more stable. So there are some that have just been shocking that, you know, for instance, like cliff bars are really high spikers and actually have a much higher glucose response than a Snickers bar in our data set. So at this point I would eat neither of those generally, but like if I had the option, I would eat a Snickers bar at this point because because you like the taste better. It's going yeah. to be more exciting and tastes better. It's also, you know, it's got the nuts and it's got some, you know, right. some fat and protein. It's almost like a balanced meal, which is, you know, I'm not endorsing it, but relative it's like, to those bars. Yeah. Right. Knowing those, that those two things have such a different response. Like it's just kind of shocking to me. Another thing we see is that basically cereals are one of the biggest disasters in the grocery store, pretty much across the board. Raisin Mm -hmm. Bran does terribly in our data set. And I think most people who are eating Raisin Bran feel like they're making a sacrifice to be healthy. (laughs) And it's just like off the charts. And then you've got like Quaker Oats squares and these things that, that people really, I think, feel like they're making a healthy choice, but these things are causing really big glucose responses in our population, instant oats. And then of course the standard like children's cereals, like Captain Crunch and Fruit Loops and Lucky Charms. I mean, just huge responses, you know, four to five times higher than what we see in our healthy breakfast in the data set. Mm -hmm. So when you look at healthy breakfast, a lot of what we see are words like chia seed pudding, fab four smoothie, which is a smoothie that, you know, Kelly Levesque popularized that it really is balanced and has fat, protein, fiber, and greens. We see eggs and avocado, eggs and greens, frittata. So essentially these meals that are going to have a bit more of a fat and protein forward macronutrient composition and a bit more balanced. And so looking at that information, I'm much Mm -hmm. more of the, like, I'm going to start my day with a green smoothie that's well-balanced, some chia pudding, some eggs and avocado, eggs and greens, rather than ever grabbing like just a big bowl of cereal, even if those boxes are marketing that they're heart healthy or whatnot. For me, for my body and for our population data, they do not appear (laughs) to to meet those claims. Not to mention that cereal has been studied for you know, for pesticide exposure. And it's one of the worst, you know, sort of concentrators of glyphosate. Mm So hoping that some of this data will help push, you know, consumer will put some consumer pressure on some of these companies to create better products that are not doing this. There there are some nice, there are some innovative cereal companies coming out like Magic Spoon and others that are still processed. But if you're, let's say for instance, your kid is like, well, I will only eat cereal for breakfast you know, knowing that there's better options versus these standard options, I think is still empowering. And I personally love, um, there's a brand called paleo Nola that makes a grain free granola that doesn't Mm -hmm. spike me at all. And so no, having seen that on my glucose monitor, knowing that I still have options within that category is, is really helpful. And then the last one I'll mention is just fruit. You know, we do see 
that there are different fruits seem to have different glucose responses in our population. Everyone's different. Everyone's individual. You know, you need to test for yourself, but yeah, you test, see yeah. something like grapes, for instance, tends to have a really high glucose response. Bananas, I see the same thing. Yeah. Bananas yeah. have a big glucose response. Whereas like apples, oranges, berries tend to be a little bit lower. And so is that saying that bananas and grapes are bad? No, it's not. It's just saying that if you test this for yourself and you have double the response for one fruit versus another, you could mm -hmm. consider trying to balance that higher spiking fruit with more fat, protein, and fiber, maybe eat it before you take a walk or have it in a smaller quantity. And, you know, we get, I've personally gotten you know, a lot of people getting really outraged about that concept because it's, you know, the concept of like demonizing fruit, it's not demonizing fruit at all. I right. don't want to have a huge spike and crash in the middle of my day. And if I can choose a food within this healthful category, that's going to cause less of that roller coaster. That's a good thing. That's not right. Orthorexia. That's not disordered eating. That is literally just making a, an informed choice about how I want my day to look. And so yeah. it's not saying fruit is a bad food. It's saying that it's causing a bigger glucose response in me. And there's something I can do about that to have a more stable day. Right. Like you said, even with grapes, I think that's a valid point. I see that within my patient's data too, but simple tweak is having a protein forward meal and fiber rich meal prior to buffer that glucose spike. And you can still have your grapes and banana and no big deal. And then some people, like you said, they're testing it and they're really having okay responses. And I have seen also what you said of patients who are consistently walking as simple as just a brisk walk every day. They have a lot more wiggle room with how many carbs they can have and how many, even the more like the higher fructose fruits because of their body is just naturally burning more of that off and more metabolically flexible. Do you see that as well with your data? Oh, hugely. I mean, if there's one simple take home point that I would recommend to people, whether you have a glucose monitor on or not, it's move your body however you can after yeah. a meal because your muscles are this incredible glucose sink and they can yeah. soak up that glucose. Suck it up. Suck it up. <laughs> exactly. Take it out of the bloodstream, yeah. use it. Don't just let it sit there and, you know, force essentially your body to use insulin to get it all out of the bloodstream and convert the excess to fat, et cetera. Take it up, use it. So whether it's a 15 minute dance party while doing the dishes or 15, <laughs> 20 minute walk around the block or do a few air squats as you're drying a dish. Like it's so, so simple, but every time you do a squat, you're activating like dozens of muscles that all need glucose essentially to work. So that's, I, and of course it's hard to do that every time. Cause sometimes, you know, I'll eat lunch at my desk and I'm powering through to the next thing, but at least trying to incorporate a little bit of movement after meals, I think is a great habit that a lot of cultures have been doing for millennia. And mm -hmm. we've kind of lost that simple art mm -hmm. of like taking a post meal stroll. We actually have objective data to show in our data set that it's very effective as well. We did an experiment with our members where we, people essentially had a can of Coke, Coca-Cola, and they drank it on one day. And then they drank it the subsequent day under very similar conditions. So same time of day, similar amount of sleep from the day before but they immediately started taking a walk after drinking the Coke. And the average glucose response went from 162 milligrams per deciliter for the no walk to 132 milligrams per deciliter with the walk. So that's a 30 point difference. That's pretty yeah. incredible. And nice. all from just like taking a stroll after downing the Coke. I love it.
One of the top things that I see when I'm consulting patients and looking at labs and see people that are struggling with fatigue and brain fog and other health issues, it's so easily fixed, but people don't know. They're overcomplicating it. People don't know that electrolytes are very important for optimal health and they need to be supporting it. Electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance in the body. Because if your electrolytes are off, it can impact headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, brain fog, sleeplessness. The way that I love to get my electrolytes is Element. You all know that I love Element, right? It is a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium with none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. It's like, it's everything you need. My patients, honestly, I think every single one of my patients is on Element in some degree because it is very effective for supporting all of these pathways. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free, completely free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all their eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. We all have a salty friend, no shame. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash willcole. This deal is only available through the link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T. That's drinkelement.com slash willcole. So, I mean, really what we're talking about here and many, you know, really what this podcast stands for and what I want to educate my patients with as well. And this conversation today is about decentralization of health and decentralization of health information. And I know that's a major mission of what you're doing with Levels. Why do you feel like that? Why do you feel like that's so important for Mm -hmm. people? Right now, really the power and the control over understanding a body is right now centralized to systems. It's your doctor, it's the hospital. I think we've all had the experience where we've changed doctors and it has been a complete impossible situation to get our health records transferred over, inevitable confusion and forms and paperwork. And it's like, this is our body's data. This is our health information and we can barely access it. I mean, I got an MRI last Wednesday and I haven't heard anything back about it. And for me to actually get that information, I know it's going to be an hour long headache. You know, I'm going to have to call a main line. They're going to transfer to the, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so this is the world we're living in where we can't even access the information about our bodies that we paid for. And that is ours. (laughs) So this is why I think there needs to be some decentralization and why I'm so excited about consumerization of health information, because what's Mm going to happen is you're going to have a more empowered population that is able to actually understand the different factors that are leading to either health or infirmity and can make, have agency in regards to that. Right now, we are really limited in our ability to have agency about our health because we don't even have the information about it. And I think of a world like the world that gets me really excited is thinking about a decade from now where a patient doesn't have to walk into the doctor's office sort of waiting for some ball to drop about their health. You know, they go in nervous and anxious. What's the doctor going to say? What are they going to tell me? Maybe I have type two diabetes now. This should not be the dynamic at play. We should be able to be tracking that throughout our lifetimes, 
understanding the trajectory of our health, understanding how to intervene effectively and being in control of our own health destiny. And so I am 100% confident that I will never walk into a doctor's office and have them drop a bomb on me about a preventable metabolic condition because I'm literally tracking my metabolic health every single day. And I know exactly right. what's happening. I know that when I'm more stressed, my fasting glucose goes up. When I'm sleep deprived, my fasting glucose goes up. And then I can immediately course correct and invest in my sleep and do a little bit more meditation. I know that when I'm on vacation, my glucose is going to go up a little bit. I'm going to have bigger spikes when I'm in New York City for a trip versus when I'm at home cooking all my own foods. So I can accept that, enjoy that experience, course correct when I get home. If you have no insight into any of this, there might be very little course correction because you're not seeing what's happening. And over the course of years and decades, that can add up to slowly slipping into preventable chronic disease because you've been essentially don't have the information. So the name of the game comes down to empowerment and how do we have yeah. more information about our bodies that's actionable so that we can make better decisions. And I think the part that really, I think motivates and evangelizes me as a physician is that I think the healthcare system really benefits economically off keeping patients in the dark about their health. Because if you have a patient who's essentially ignorant to what's going on and doesn't know how to intervene effectively, yeah, you have a patient, they don't ask questions. They yeah. just will do whatever you know you recommend. And they are essentially a dependent of the system yeah for life. And that is how the economics and the business model of healthcare works right now, unfortunately, yeah. which is that the more sick patients there are, the more, the better the healthcare system does. So there's a moral hazard going on that is dependent on people not restoring their health. And by giving information to people, I think they have a better chance of restoring their health. There's also yeah. a vibe in healthcare of like, oh, this is very complicated and most patients are non-compliant and most patients mm -hmm. aren't successful in losing weight. So we're just going to do it this way. It's like, I think that's honestly total bullshit. Like I think mm -hmm. patients want to be healthy. I think their, their people are incredible. I mean, you've got millions of people listening to podcasts every day, trying to understand their health better. They want to make mm -hmm. good choices, but there's just really bad marketing and bad information out there. Yeah. And so we're kind of, in a we're up against a lot right now. And I think personal data mm -hmm. can help cut through some of that. So I think this decentralization of healthcare, more consumerization of healthcare is going to create a much more empowered population that hopefully over the long term will really shift some of the core dynamics in healthcare that are keeping people sick and dependent. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I mean, for just to recap real fast, and then I want to jump into a segment with you is test. Don't guess everybody. Decentralization, learn about your body, learn about your bio-individuality, look at stress, look at sleep. There's two things that Dr. Means talked about how, impacting blood sugar, look at fiber and protein as a way to help blood sugar and Walking, a brisk walk is a great way to support blood sugar balance. Man, this has been amazing. So I'd like to segue into, as you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. This is Dr. Casey Means' Art of Being Well. I want to pick your brain on different things that you love personally about wellness. Are you up for this Absolutely. formidable challenge? <laughs> What's the worst tasting healthy food that you put up with and still eat because you know it's so good for you? Great question. Oof. <laughs> I think that the one that's coming to mind is honestly raw turmeric. I love turmeric in certain recipes, but the quantity of turmeric that I consume is 
excessive. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the right amount, but I ordered turmeric <laughs> in 20 pound shipments from an organic farm in Kauai. And it comes in a giant FedEx box that literally is just like 20 pounds of loose turmeric that 20 pounds of turmeric <laughs> is a lot of turmeric. And so I freeze it and I, you know, some, when I'm, I will eat sometimes just like two tables. I'll, I'll basically grind it in a food processor and then freeze it. And so I'll sometimes just eat it by the spoonful with some black pepper and some olive oil. And to me, this is like medication, right? This is like a potent inhibitor of the NF kappa B pathway, our master inflammatory pathway. It just makes me feel so good when I eat it, but like, do I enjoy the taste? Not so much, but I think turmeric (laughs) is like an incredible magical nutrigenomic thing. And I do think that I subjectively notice a really good feeling in my body when I eat you know, three to four inches of turmeric root per day in some form. Wow. That's amazing. You're the real deal. You're like all but snorting ground turmeric. You got it. Exactly. (laughs) Do not snort turmeric, everybody. That was a joke. That was a joke. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. (laughs) All right. What's your go? I'm really curious about this. What's your go-to blood sugar balancing breakfast of choice? I'm going to say something controversial. My best (laughs) go-to blood sugar balancing breakfast of choice is fasting. I like, I mean, I know I'm talking to someone who (laughs) understands this, but that's obviously that can get some people activated, but I am in the camp of really believing that the body should be able to get through eight to 12 hours of not having a meal and be totally fine. Now I'll answer your question for real. So, I mean, I, I do feel really great when I have my first meal at noon. It's right now, That's what I do. it's 10.54 a.m. I've had nothing to eat and I feel amazing. I'm not even thinking mm-hmm. about food right now. So that's, yes. So you, are you about an 18 hour fast most days or? Less, I'm probably six, yeah. 14 to 16. I go okay. to bed really right. late and I, I do a lot better fasting in the morning than at night. So, you know, I have a really hard time stopping eating at like five because I stay up till midnight. And so, I mean, I I can do it and I've done three to five day fasts and it's fine. It's just really unenjoyable for me. Whereas I could easily not eat till 2 PM, you know? So I think it's better to fast at night, to be honest, from a sleep perspective. But for me, some grace that I give myself is like, you know what? you're doing a great job. If fasting in the morning is easier for you, like that's okay. So, but no, but if I am eating breakfast, I really love hacking brunch to make it blood sugar stabilizing. So I love a beautiful frittata. So pasture raised eggs filled with, you know, sulforaphane rich cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, bok choy, kale, you know, add in some tomatoes, some turmeric, something like that. Sometimes I'll make a tofu frittata as well. If I don't want to do animal protein that day, both of those will have zero response on my blood sugar. I love chia pudding with coconut milk or almond milk. Chia pudding has zero response, glucose response for me. Even if I add a few blueberries or blackberries, and I'll usually add some flax seeds, some almond butter, that's a totally stable breakfast for me. I love making grain-free pancakes. So I'll use almond flour, coconut flour, tiger nut flour, and make just a beautiful pancake. And then what I'll put on top usually is a teeny drizzle and almond butter drizzle. And then I make a berry compote, which is essentially just a frozen bag of berries that I simmer on the stove with some water and lemon juice and you know no added sugar. And then I'll blend that and drizzle that on top. That will have no glucose response for me. Those are some of... Oh, and then I just... You know, I love traveling to Japan was so influential to me because their breakfasts are so, so different. It's like 
smoked fish and burdock root Mm -hmm. and vegetables and pickles and things like that. So I'll usually top any savory breakfast with a ton of kimchi or sauerkraut so I can get my probiotics in and smoked fish, like a smoked salmon or something, as opposed Mm -hmm. to like a bacon or something like that, just to get as many omega-3s as I can in the breakfast, something like that. So those Mm -hmm. are kind of my go-tos for breakfast. Love it. Very ketotarian of you, Dr. Means. Well, I've been influenced. Yeah. <laughs> and often because I'm eating my first meal of the day, usually at noon, I'll often just eat a huge salad for breakfast. And I mean, I'm kind of like yeah. normalized salad for breakfast. It's not, you know, some sardines, yeah. a huge green salad, a nice vinaigrette, some sauerkraut. You get all these metabolically friendly things. It's like, yeah, it's totally fine. So yeah. And you're like picking greens off the wall behind you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your top tip to get a great night's sleep? Someone's struggling with sleep out there. What would you say? One thing they could start doing. The biggest thing I would say for me is going outside first thing in the morning and staring at the sky for like five minutes. (laughs) That is getting sunlight first thing in the morning. So I'm a huge proponent of what is basically getting regular photic signals to the body. There's some interesting literature about irregular photic signals, which is what we're doing to our body right now. So of course, you know, the sun, the food is molecular information that tells the body what to do. The sun is energetic information that tells the body what to do. And we've totally forgotten about how important this signal is for the body in our modern world. You know, we, for hundreds of thousands of years, every day we've seen sunlight throughout the day and in the morning and dark at night. And our cells, as you know, literally respond to that energy through the way that it hits our retina goes to our suprachiasmatic nucleus and sets the hormonal and chemical signaling pathway of the whole body for the day. Literally different genetic pathways are expressed or not expressed based on whether you're getting sunlight at different parts of the day. And right now we do the exact opposite. We're getting tons of light when we're not supposed to at night and we're not going outside during the day to get that sun's energy. So it's almost like more Mm -hmm. darkness during the day and more light at night. So these are irregular photic signals. We totally screwed up our relationship with the chemical, with the energetic energy from the sun. And of course, chronic disease and metabolic dysfunction is accelerated by this dysfunctional relationship with, you know, this incredible source energy that we have. And so the simple thing of going outside, what I do, I actually have a, the door in my bathroom that goes to my backyard. And what I do is as I'm brushing my teeth, which is the first thing I do every morning, I go outside no matter what. So that means I get at least two minutes of outdoor time every single day, but I try and stay out there. I usually walk around my house three or four times, do a perimeter check, look at the flowers. And then I have five amazing photon blasting minutes, at least in the day to set my body up, to know what time it is, to know that it's morning. And if your body doesn't know that it's morning, it's going to have a much more difficult time knowing that it's time for bed later Mm -hmm. in the day. And I actually worked with a sleep coach because one of my biggest struggles in wellness is sleep consistency. I just, I get a lot of energy late at night and knowing everything we do in the wellness community about how to hack sleep and how to optimize sleep. I was still struggling. And what she realized, the sleep coach for me was that let's not try and take away things at night for you. Like, oh, take away your computer light at night. Take away the fact that you like to do stimulating activities at night. Cause that's kind of part of who I am. Let's add something at the beginning of the day. So it's less of a Mm. sacrifice and more of like a joyful add-in. 
And it totally changed things for me. So it was not about deprivation that. or eliminating things that were truly a part of my schedule, but easily adding in something that would yeah. naturally make my mind be like, Supportive it's of that. time for bed. And I, that actually really impacted me from a like behavioral psychology standpoint. Cause I was like, yeah, just telling people to do things that are hard is sometimes not effective, but adding in something that's easy, but has a big right. impact can be really effective. It's easy. They enjoy, they can stick with it. It's sustainable. Definitely true. Yeah. Wow. Very good tips. What's the weirdest thing that you've done for your wellness that you're willing to admit on a podcast? <sighs> and I know weird is oh. subjective in our world, right? It's like so relative, but quit being a surgeon probably. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's probably the weirdest thing I did. It wasn't totally for my wellness. I mean, I think I, I did, you know, I, when I was a surgical resident, I had a neck surgery trainee, which I was, you know, four years of my life after medical school, my body completely just fell apart. And it was such an impactful experience for me because I realized how much our circumstances can dictate our health. And I knew that because mm. I was following all the functional medicine leaders like you and Mark Hyman and Sarah Gottfried and David Perlmutter and all these wonderful people. And I, I understood the concepts, but I then got to experience them for myself in the sense that I became a surgical resident after medical school. And all of a sudden I was working hundred hours a week. I was only sleeping about four days a week because I was on call three nights a week. And so I would then sleep during the day, the next day, totally screwed up sleep, constant stress and adrenaline lots of toxic dynamics in the hospital, high cortisol constantly was barely ever seeing the sun. Cause I would get to the hospital at five 30 and leave at 10 PM often. And so my vitamin D was probably like five, you know, and I just, it was just I, very little in terms of community. Cause I was barely even able to spend holidays with my family, et cetera, et cetera. What happened? I went from like the most vibrant, healthy, fit 26 year old to like a 27 and 28 year old who had irritable bowel syndrome, chronic pain, depression and anxiety, horrible jawline acne, just totally like a shell of myself. And mm -hmm. I was able to actually, it's interesting, halfway through residency, you take six months and you do a research block where you're not seeing patients and you're not on that crazy schedule. You're just working in a lab basically. So I had, a, it was mm -hmm. a nine to five. And within one month back on my food, my cooking, my exercise, this and that, everything went away everything wow. completely. I mean, then I went back to clinical care, patient care in the hospital operating every day, everything came back. And so then when I eventually left being a surgeon a couple years later for the greener pastures of personalized medicine and, and functional <laughs> medicine and this whole world, yeah. it happened again. We're in about a month and a half, every symptom I had mood, skin, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic pain. I mean, chronic pain so bad that I was in the neurosurgeon's office, you know, talking wow. about potential interventions for this whore. My left hand was numb because my pain was so bad. All of it melted away when I dialed in the pillars of health, food, sleep, exercise, stress, microbiome, high micronutrient composition, avoiding, avoiding environmental toxins as much as I could and getting good sunlight exposure. When those things were dialed in, everything melted away. And so that I'm so grateful for that experience because it has, it just evangelized me of like what I want to mm -hmm. bring to the world as a clinician. So I'd say that's probably the weirdest wellness thing I did was to just like I essentially leave my career in part yeah. to, to save my health. And yeah. 
I've seen patients have to do that, not some in medicine, but some, any field that can be stressful that you're just, it's just toxic for your health. Not everybody can do that, but it's definitely, it's, some people have to have that come to Jesus moment and just say, this is not sustainable for me and not where I want to be in 10 years, if, it all, if I'll be here at all. Yeah. So what, last question, my friend, I could talk to you forever. I love, it, it <laughs> takes a podcast for us to catch up, but the, <laughs> the, the what is... What's the last, or what's a book that you've read in the past year that's been the biggest game changer for you or got you thinking in a fresh new way? It could be fiction or nonfiction. It doesn't matter. I love this question. I mean, I, can I list three? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I want to know each one and I'll put the links in the show notes for people. The two are on the same topic and then the third one is on a different topic. So the two I would mention that go together are Nature Wants Us to Be Fat by Rick Johnson and David Perlmutter's Drop Acid. Those books are both about uric acid, which I think is a word that most people were not thinking about a year ago, but both those books came out in February and they really brought uric acid onto the radar of mainstream consciousness and really opened up a new level of the metabolic health conversation because we've been so focused on glucose and inflammation. But what about this biomarker uric acid, which fortunately we actually can track at home. There's finger prick uric acid monitors. And long story short about uric acid essentially when the body metabolizes fructose, it can, one of the downstream byproducts is uric acid and uric acid in excess quantity can essentially cause mitochondrial damage, mitochondrial oxidative stress, and essentially hurt these energy factories in the body through a mechanism that's totally independent of glucose or insulin or other reasons that we hurt the mitochondria. So we now know of course that, well, juice is loaded with concentrated fructose. It's not a artificial food, but it is a processed food and it's really high fructose soda and anything with high fructose corn syrup is also going to have really high fructose concentrations. And when you put a lot of that into the body, you're going to increase your uric acid levels. And that's going to cause metabolic dysfunction through a pathway that's different than the main conversation we've been having, which is more around insulin, glucose, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so that was really, I think that opened up a whole new awesome avenue that gets us talking a bit more about fructose and mm-hmm. why we need to avoid it. So why it's so important to not overload our body with fructose. This is very different, mm-hmm. just caught note of note. This is different than eating fruit. Fruit is a lower concentration of unprocessed fructose that's packaged with fiber and a lot of roughage. It's a very different experience to the body than drinking a liquid ultra-refined form of fructose like we're getting with juice or high-fructose corn syrup. So it's that we don't want to overload the body. So those are the, those are two books that I think paint a really compelling picture of understanding uric acid and why it's important for really all aspects of health. The third book is Dr. Stephen Gundry's Unlocking the Keto Code, which This book is about a concept that I also don't think has been on the radar of many people, even in the metabolic health space, which is mitochondrial Mm -hmm. uncoupling, which is this concept where the mitochondria can actually do this sort of like thing where they can waste energy, essentially just like open up a spigot and let energy kind of be released. And so this is essentially like calories that are not going to be stored as fat. It's like freebie system. And he talks about that the benefit of the keto diet is maybe different than what we've thought, which is that ketones are this really clean, efficient form of energy. He really rebukes that and says, no, the reason ketones are important is because they promote mitochondrial uncoupling. 
And so you don't actually want to go on a keto diet. You want to go on a mitochondrial uncoupling diet. And the beauty is that you can get that mitochondrial uncoupling benefit and upregulate uncoupling proteins, not by just generating ketones, but also through several other evidence-based mechanisms. For instance, plant polyphenols, so plant chemicals in really plant-rich diets can upregulate uncoupling proteins. Also, short-chain fatty acids, which of course are produced from microbiome fermentation processes of fiber and prebiotics, those can upregulate uncoupling proteins. So there's ways with a more balanced type of approach to diet to get the benefits of keto diet, not through the restrictive, often very animal protein focused Mm -hmm. way of doing keto. And it it really unlocked something for me because I'm mostly plant-based, but I have Mm -hmm. been able to, I think, really reap some of the benefits of what you would traditionally see in a keto diet. And also I think glucose monitoring has helped me figure out how to eat a plant-based diet in a low glucose way such that I can keep my ketones at one pretty easily, even on a plant-based diet. But I think it unlocked a bit for me of like, okay, this Mm -hmm. is why you can have two people eating very different looking diets and have some similar benefits. And so I think it kind of helps pull out the rug from some of the diet war conversations and really Mm -hmm. open up a broader landscape around what ketones mean. Love that. Great books. And for people to know about this, Dr. Perlmutter was on, I'll I'll put this in the show notes. He was on talking about dropping acid. And a few weeks after people hear this conversation, Dr. Gundry is going to be talking about what you just said. So very serendipitous. Love Love it. We're all in the same gang here. So my friend, where can people go? Where can people go to learn about your amazing work, learn more about at levels and what you're doing. So levels is on Instagram at levels. We're also on Twitter at levels, lots of fun stuff to follow there. Cause a lot of our members using glucose monitors are posting experiments they're doing and what they're learning. And so we can sort of all benefit from following those things. Even if we don't have a glucose monitor, I would say levelshealth.com slash blog is an incredible resource of metabolic health information. Highly recommend that again, lots of information of how you can use these principles and use these learnings to improve metabolic health. Even if you don't have a monitor, it's certainly not required to have a monitor to have metabolic health. So lots of information about how to do that. And then I am at Dr. Casey's kitchen, Dr. Casey's kitchen on Instagram and Twitter. And I have a newsletter that goes every, that goes out every month through the levels newsletter that really goes deep into sort of how I look at nutrition and health. So you can sign up for that on the levels, the levels blog website. There's a newsletter sign up, but that's where I really pour my heart and soul into kind of sharing some of the things that are really resonant for me. So yeah. And then if you want to sign up for levels, we actually, we launched just about a month ago. We had a wait list for two years of about 270,000 people. And now it's totally accessible to it's, it's open to everyone. So no more wait lists. And so levels levelshealth.com is where you can sign up if you do want to try continuous glucose monitoring. Love it. I love it. My patients love it so much. You empower so many people, my friend. I'll put the link in the show notes for everybody that wants to learn about all this stuff. But thank you for coming on the podcast. Come back anytime. Thank you so much, Dr. Cole. Talk to you soon. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. 
Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Melissa. Melissa asks, I read one of your articles about low T3 syndrome. Is this something you see commonly or is it pretty rare? All right, great question, Melissa. So low T3 syndrome, for people that haven't read articles that I've written about this, it's a term that's used to describe lower levels of the active thyroid hormone or T3. So your body predominantly makes T4. It's a tyrosine protein with four iodine molecules that's largely inactive. The brain uses, it's somewhat active. It's somewhat active in the brain. The brain has lots of thyroid receptor sites. Every cell of our body has thyroid receptor sites, but it's less bioavailable T4 than T3. So your body converts T4 to T3. 80% of that conversion or activation of the thyroid hormone, around 80% happens in the liver. And there's an enzyme called 5 prime deiodinase. It takes off one of those iodine molecules, making T4 into T3. And about 20% of that conversion happens in the gut. So low T3 syndrome means when we look at labs, and again, we look at these labs for people around the world at my telehealth center, we're measuring total T4, total T3, which are the two different forms of those thyroid hormones, and free T3 and free T4. Those are the most active, meaning they are not bound by the thyroid binding globulin, basically the thyroid transporting protein. So they're what's getting in the cells. Largely free T3 is the most active of the thyroid hormone. It is off its transporting binding globulin and able to be used by our cells. And we need thyroid hormone for energy, for sex drive, for our hair, for our skin, nails. We need it for digestion. We need it for so much in our body because every cell of our body has a thyroid receptor site. So low T3 syndrome is with our patient base, pretty common, but we're dealing with people that are struggling with different chronic health problems. So I'm not seeing the average population. I'm seeing people that are struggling with fatigue, with hair loss, with digestive problems, with different autoimmune inflammation issues. So low T3 syndrome is a higher rate of of that population of people. Why? Because when your body's stressed out, when the nervous system is stressed, when there's chronic inflammation, when there's issues going on with the gut-brain axis, that slows down the conversion of T4 to T3 in many cases, not all the cases, but many. And it should be looked at because it's oftentimes missed in the standard model of care because they're just looking at TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone and T4. They're not looking at all the different nuances of thyroid hormone metabolism. So in states of stress, meaning physiological stress, chronic inflammation is stressful to the body and psychological stress, mental, emotional stress, trauma, people that are stuck in that hypervigilant sympathetic overdrive, that fight or flight state, they tend to have sluggish T3 levels and they tend to have higher, what are called reverse T3 levels. So in states of stress and inflammation, the body can convert more of T4 into something called reverse T3. Think of it as sort of the thyroid breaks. So it can bind to the thyroid receptor site and slow down production. It is not active like T3 is. So it can elicit these classic low thyroid symptoms, but it's not inherently a thyroid production problem. It's a thyroid under conversion of T4 to T3 and an overproduction of this thyroid break or reverse T3. So it's definitely nuanced. We have to look there to know if it's an issue or not. It may not be an issue for you, but if you're struggling with fatigue, weight loss resistance, weak uh, nails, weak hair, hair loss, 
these other classic low thyroid symptoms, I want to rule this out. I want to rule out low T3 syndrome, especially if you're dealing with other inflammatory problems too, where this can be a part of the, the cascade or ripple effect of chronic inflammation. Great question, Melissa. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. Thank you.